is Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. We get a lot of messages about cases, and we hope to cover them all, but sometimes there is such little information available, we wouldn't be sharing much more than a paragraph from a newspaper. Others, we are still waiting on requested records and documents from the state so we can have accurate information. If you have a case you think we should look into, the best way to let us know is through our email, murderintherain at gmail.com. Today's case was one that was requested. Unlike most that are sent to us, we received many requests for this one to be covered, and for good reason. When Aaron left his camping party to go on a solo hike, it was nothing out of the ordinary. His friends started to worry when he wasn't back in time for dinner the next day, and something was very out of the ordinary. Things only got worse from there when he and the body of his puppy were found dead on a trail. Confessions have been made, Stories have been told, yet no one has been arrested, and no one knows why. This is the story of Aaron Christensen and Buzz, and how the Lewis County Sheriff's Office has left his friends and family with more questions than answers. For a first-hand account of what transpired that weekend, I spoke with two of Aaron's close friends, Kate and Ezra. You'll be hearing clips of them speaking about Aaron and the events that occurred throughout the episode. And please don't mind the dog noises or little kid noises. You know, it's a household. Born in San Rafael, California in January of 1973, it was only two months later that Aaron and his folks made their way east to Colorado. When he was three, the family moved to Klamath Falls in southern Oregon. Soon after settling in Klamath Falls, Aaron was no longer an only child as his sister Natalie was born. Three years later, brother Corey came along. A creative-minded person, school wasn't for Aaron, so he left high school, got his GED, and moved north to Eugene. Paying his bills working at Taco Bell, his talents could flourish in the bigger town, where he played in his first band. As the punk music scene grew, so did his skills as a bass player. His band, Artless Motives, went on tour on the West Coast, but soon Aaron and the band and his girlfriend all went their separate ways. Seeking another new start, Aaron found himself in New York in 1998. After working in school theater maintenance and helping the city through 9-11, he found himself back in Oregon in 2006. Portland seemed to be a good fit for Aaron. The city was home to bands and musicians he could share his music with. His friends from the days in Klamath Falls and Eugene were no longer on the other side of the country. The nearby trails and campsites allowed him to spend time in nature, which he adored. Bartending was his day job, but his heart belonged to music. He soon found himself part of a community of musicians. He could talk music, play music, record it, be in bands. It was in his blood. Be it old school country, drone, psychedelic, or punk, he always found a way to listen to or make some, either on his own or with friends. Here is some of his bass playing. His intense love of music could sometimes lead to heated conversations and nerves being ground, but it was always with the best intention. Aaron was a son, grandson, brother, uncle, nephew, and friend. He was also a new puppy parent as of the summer of 2022. Music being such an integral part of Aaron's life, it wasn't surprising he named his pup King Buzzo, or Buzz for short, after King Buzzo of the Melvins. Aaron adored Buzz, his Australian cattle dog. Buzz was only four months old in August of 22, so Aaron had his hands full as Australian cattle dogs are not the least energetic breed. But the pair were a perfect match. Buzz happily joined alongside Aaron on his numerous hikes and frequent camping trips. One such camping excursion took place annually in August to celebrate a friend's birthday. Each year brought a new location, 
In 2022, the 12th or so annual trip would find them all at the Walloped Lake Campground in Randall, Washington, which is part of Lewis County and is about a three and a half hour drive northeast of Portland. The group size varied by year, sometimes 30 people, sometimes 10. This year, there would be 16 of them. Aaron had been joining his friends for the last five or so outings, but it was far from the only thing that got him outdoors. He was an avid outdoorsman. He had all the gear necessary for survival, was apt at packing, hiking, and planning. He was smart about it, too, always having his route in his phone, letting his friends know where he would be going and when to expect him back. He thought everything through and did everything correctly when it came to being safe in nature. That's why, even during the group outing, Aaron always found time to take a solo trip. Whether an all-day hike or an overnight camp away from the main campground, he relished in the solitude. His friends understood and celebrated his independence. They knew there would be a day or so in the course of their trip that Aaron would be off doing his own thing. On one of those trips, Kate and company arrived at the campground, set up their camp, and started making dinner. Then, like something out of a movie, Aaron appeared from the woods, oversized pack filled with supplies and his one-man tent on his back, staff in hand. He had gone the day earlier to sneak in his alone time and was now ready to spend the remainder of the trip with his friends. Last year's trip would be different. This time, he would be going up to the site with everyone and taking the trip on his own from Thursday to Friday. It was around 8.30 a.m. on Thursday, the 18th of August, when, due to scheduling and kids, Ezra ended up getting a ride with Aaron in his truck to go to the camp. Even though Kate and the kids left a little while after the guys, they actually all arrived around the same time. The home stretch in getting to the campground involved some off-road driving. Kate took the dirt road that was about 20 miles long and took nearly an hour to navigate. The guys, however, had taken an even longer, more treacherous road, and the difficult terrain was harder to traverse, taking over 90 minutes, costing them their lead and Aaron his plans. Just like every other trip, Aaron had a day of his own planned for that day, but after the long drive, it ended up being too late for him to head out, so the excursion was moved to Friday. The campground they were staying at was home to the popular Walloped Lake Trail, an 11.7-mile out-and-back trail that, if he was going straight through, would have taken him about five hours to complete. Aaron's plan now was to leave early Friday, which he did, hitting the trail even before breakfast was served, around 8.30 a.m., For everyone at the campground, Friday the 19th was a typical day of camping at a lake. Paddleboarding, swimming, reading, sunbathing, relaxing, chatting. It was your typical summer day, and it was lovely. With Buzz at his side and his overnight pack on his back, Aaron got started on the first 6.5 miles of the trail. He had left early knowing the latter part of the day, which would lead to where he was staying for the night, had a bit of an incline and it would take him longer to get in and settled than it would for him to pack up and get back to the camp the next day. It's not known for sure, but assumed by some, that he stayed the night in his solo tent with Buzz before heading back towards the campground Saturday morning. He was expected to return around lunchtime. With so many people, the group at the campground had a system for feeding everyone. Each family would take a meal. Since Aaron was part of Kate and Ezra's family, she and Aaron had planned on making dinner the night of Saturday the 20th. Assuming Aaron would have left his camp as early as he had the day before, and because he would be going downhill on the difficult stretch, making for a faster return, the group expected him back by early in the afternoon. One o'clock, two o'clock rolls by, and what's going on? Where's Aaron? Where's Aaron? Noon came and went. 1 p.m. was noted, but not concerning. 2 p.m. was alarming. By 3 p.m., Kate couldn't help but worry as she was reminded of another friend she had lost to the wilderness. And uh, that was terrible. It was really, 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 really fucking hard. And I think in the back of everyone's mind, just like worried, but trying to, you know, he's capable. He knows what he's doing. He's fine. Everything's going to be fine. But you've lived the reality that shit happens and something could have gone wrong. So it's like there. You heard that right. Everyone's concerns were totally founded as they had been through a similar nightmare just five years ago. Another friend, another avid outdoors person, Mike Lund, met his demise while out mushroom hunting. For those of you not from the Pacific Northwest or other mushroom-friendly areas, it may be surprising to hear that mushroom hunting is a very common hobby around these parts. I have friends that take their kids out hiking to go find different species growing in the wild. Some seek out varieties in ways no different than that of a bird watcher or a stamp collector. 
It's a fun, free activity that keeps you physical while outside enjoying nature. 49-year-old Mike Lund was in the Tillamook Forest, a massive 364,000-acre stretch of land that starts an hour west of Portland and reaches nearly to the coast. Mike had been mushrooming closer to the coast near the Dirt Creek Forest Road, about 30 miles east of Tillamook. Like Aaron, Mike was good about letting his people know when to expect him home. And when he didn't return on Monday, September 25, 2017, police were called. The expansive area made a search difficult. And while Mike's family and friends, including bandmate Aaron, waited anxiously for any news, they couldn't help but fret about the worst-case scenario. Hopes of him being injured or dehydrated and just needing help lingered, but as the days went on, the knots in everyone's stomachs only grew tighter. On Wednesday the 27th, they had their answers. Mike's body was found at the bottom of a ravine. Investigators were able to quickly deduce he had most likely fallen from an embankment between 60 and 70 feet high. His neck and head suffered severe trauma, causing his death. Because of the dangerous makeup of the area, his body couldn't be recovered by the Portland Mountain Rescue Team until that Thursday. So when Aaron didn't return at his expected time, no one wanted to panic, but they had lived through a loss before and knew how easily a nightmare situation like that could come to fruition. Nerves were starting to get the best of everyone when 5 p.m. rolled around, but there were attempts to quell them, like starting up the barbecue so Kate could get started on hamburgers that they had planned to have. We also do this thing uh, during our trip, our, this camping trip, is we have a, a cornhole tournament where we pair up and, um, and everyone's, you know, going through the, the corn tourney. I start prepping for dinner because it's time, you know, we got to start thinking about that. And everyone, we're all at, at our, my campsite at that point, playing cornhole and prepping for dinner. And Those attempts to stay calm were soon moot when Kate looked over to the host's site and saw two police cars, unusual for any campground. As several cops stood around the host talking, Kate couldn't stop herself and she approached them. Her initial intention wasn't to find out about Aaron, but to ask them when she should report him missing. It was probably... Close to five, maybe maybe five thirty. Ezra and Jay start the barbecue up to to start grilling hamburgers because that's what we're making. And we're pretty close to the camp host uh, where we are, and I can I can see some sort of uh, police vehicle in the parking lot, and I just walked over there. Um, and I actually, like, thinking back, like, a, I actually had a, kind of a bit of relief on when I saw the cop car mm -hmm. because it said law enforcement. And in my head, I was thinking, well, if there was a problem or an accident, it would have been EMT right. or an ambulance right. or some sort of, like, medical, medical. Mm -hmm. vehicle. So I kind of lost my nerve. There was cops. There was at least two of them, maybe more. I'm not sure. So I walked back over to the campsite. And as I'm walking back, I'm just like, can just feel this pit in my stomach and I go get Ezra and I tell him that um, the cops are out front and he goes why don't you just just go get D and go talk to the cop like see like we're expecting someone yeah, maybe it's just like you know so I grab my friend D and I'm just like shaking we walk up there and and she says you know we're, we're expecting our friend back and just wondering when we should you know get worried and the cop said, you know, 24 hours. That's what everyone says, right? And and I and I think I'm I'm pretty sure I said, oh, it's been well over 24 hours since he's been last seen by us. And he goes, well, was he was he by himself? And I said he had his dog. And I just saw the face. I said, and he said, that's I'm here investigating the death of a hiker and his dog. He. Danielle, my friend Danielle, is describing Aaron, and he says, I have a picture. I'm going to show you a picture of his face, because I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same person. And so he did. He showed Danielle, and I was, like, I, my legs, I, I had to sit down. I lost my shit. So she showed, he showed her the picture, and she said, yeah, that's Aaron. And he wasn't wearing glasses. He didn't have his ball cap on like he always has. 
he looked like he was laying down and one of his arms was above his head, kind of like this. And so he's telling us that he was found dead, he's dead. And that his dog is dead as well. So I immediately think that he's fallen. He had the dog in his arms and he stumbled and that's why they're both deceased. April, our other friend, is walking by as the cop is telling, talking to us. And she's like, what is happening? And I just blurted out. I said, Aaron's dead. We start to walk back up to the campsite. And I can see the group and I can see my husband and my friend Jay. And I just, I couldn't go any further. I, I had to sit down. I sat down on a rock. And Danielle said, I'm just, I'm going to go get Ezra and, and Jay. My daughter came running down and she, and I just said it again. I said, Aaron's dead. This was, um, it was starting to get dark at that point. And we're all together at the site and, you know, everyone starts to hear the news. With the photo confirmation of her worst fears realized, Kate had the horrible duty of informing all of her friends that their friend and his puppy had been found dead, leading, of course, to endless questions and guesses. Aaron and Buzz? The only way that seemed feasible was if Aaron had been holding Buzz and then fell. Could he have tripped on something, maybe? Perhaps he landed on Buzz after some sort of health issue? It was all too strange and devastating to comprehend. The cop did ask me if he had a gun. And I said, I wasn't sure. I said, I didn't know. I said, I, I'm sure he has a knife. Yeah. Um, but I, he didn't tell me about a gun. He didn't show anyone anything like that. I wouldn't have been surprised. I know he owns guns. I know. I mean, he has them, but I, I didn't think he had any. He also asked if, um, if he would have hurt himself, and adamantly said, "Absolutely not! Not any chance. There's no way." As the night drew nearer, other hikers and friends went the three and a half miles in to retrieve the bodies. And remember that number: three and a half miles. About halfway in or halfway out. They tell us the plan, um, the camp host and two of our actual neighbors, camping neighbors, hiked up the three and a half miles where he was and they were going to bring him down. I think there was maybe a total of four people, maybe five, I can't remember exactly. But they walked up there and they couldn't, they ended up not being able to bring him down. They had to, they brought him down to the water and then brought a boat across and brought him back that way. The wallop trail was quickly closed off. No one reported ever seeing evidence markers, and Aaron's body was moved within a few hours of him being found. An offer of support from homicide detectives was given and declined by the Lewis County Sheriff. As the on-site investigation continued, even the coroner's office asked about Aaron having a gun, implying he should have had one for being out in the wilderness. (sighs) Okay. Not every camper needs one, but all right. Yes, the area is still the untamed outdoors, but it's an often hiked trail connected to other trails, campgrounds, and even the Pacific Crest Trail. There may have been bears in the surrounding area, but there weren't major concerns about them encountering campers. The coroner was also upset upon finding out that there was a deceased puppy at the scene. We also informed her that there was a deceased dog, and she kind of freaked out about that. The coroner did? Mm Mm-hmm. Just made a comment like, no one told me there was a dog up there. I'm like, well, there's a dead man up there, too. Now that everyone knew where Aaron was and that he had passed away, the obvious question was, what the hell happened? At one point, a puncture wound was mentioned by police and spread through the group of campers. This only added to the confusion. So did he fall and land on a tree or a branch, again, holding Buzz so perfectly in his hands that he, too, was harmed? It seemed improbable, if not impossible. Around midnight, Ezra was dealt another heartbreaking card when he was asked by the coroner to identify his friend. The cot that had been used to carry him off the trail still held him as the tarp used to wrap him was moved away. With Buzz at his feet, Ezra confirmed it was indeed his friend Aaron. She asked Ezra if uh, he would identify him when they brought him down. And he agreed to do that. And he did that. That was just after midnight. J and D were, um, their campsite was really close to the water, so they were just watching and watching, and Jay, they watched as they brought him over on the boat. Jay went over and helped carry him off the boat. They had made a cot, 
of some sort. Okay. So I think he was sitting on that. It was on like a trailer or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was kind of wrapped in a tarp. Yeah. And his and dog was yeah. down by his feet. Jay was right there, too. He could have identified him as well. He, he helped carry him. And he saw the same thing I did. Mm -hmm. They put a light on him. And, you know. Yeah. Did they open up the, the tarp totally so you could see him from head to toe? Mm -hmm. And that's how you saw Buzz, too? Obviously. Yeah. Okay. So I was kind of trying to see if I could find, like, some pool of blood on him or something that would indicate that he had maybe fallen onto a branch or something right. like that. But I didn't see anything. And that's I just, and then I asked the coroner about it um, back at her car when I was signing the document. And uh, she said that she, she, didn't, she didn't notice it either and that, you know, she wasn't going to start looking over the body now. But, you know. Also looking for like signs of yeah, or that trauma he had fallen too, or like something because he, he didn't. Fallen, it didn't yeah. look like he had fallen. Yeah, right. he looked like he was. I mean, yeah. he was pale as a ghost, but right. But there's a difference. You can he wasn't that. smashed up. Right. The weekend, which was supposed to be filled with joy and celebration, had been devastated. As the campers tried to pull themselves together to at least pack up and get home the next morning, police activity continued to swirl around them. Kate and Ezra, having been the family Aaron was staying with, were tasked with packing up his things. Before doing so, they checked with the police. Do you need any of his items? Do you want his car? Do you want to search anything in case there's foul play? They did not. Aaron's belongings were put into his truck. Ezra had to drive back home, this time without his friend. Ezra was then given another brutal task. The police hadn't bothered to inform Aaron's family of his death. So once he was in a location with cell service, he started making the necessary calls. Oh, that is rough. Yeah. And I had to get a hold of his family, too, because nobody knew. We didn't have cell service where we were at. Yeah. We were like an hour and a half or two hours away from that. Mm -hmm. And the so, police hadn't bothered to notify family? No, they didn't know. They didn't know anything about it. It was a long day of yeah. telling friends his family. Yeah. It was really hard. So when we got down the mountain, Ezra called another bandmate. His name's Mark. So Mark and Aaron um, had some family friend, family in common. Okay. Uh, which turned out to be such an amazing thing because so Mark called his aunt. His aunt is Aaron's mom's best friend. So she called, um, she called Aaron's mom and was, she was the one who told, him, told her what had happened. Getting back to the Portland area, everyone congregated at Kate and Ezra's home. Those who assisted in getting the body saw nothing that implied the area was being treated as a crime scene. It appeared the local law enforcement had decided on the spot that they were dealing with a natural or accidental cause of death. Eventually, the autopsy was conducted and a cause of death was finally given. Aaron had suffered what was called a widowmaker heart attack. It has earned that moniker as the severe blockage that occurs in the biggest artery of your heart has only a 12% survival rate. So we're going through this that week. Um, I don't remember exactly what day it was that, that we were told that it was a heart attack, but we were told that it was a heart attack. All of the information that we got was from Aaron's family. And do you know who it was that told them that? Like, was that the coroner or? Somebody did, yeah. They would, yeah I think it, it was. I think it was the coroner, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, they, remember they used the term a widowmaker heart attack. So Aaron, who was only in his late 40s and was active and fit, suddenly had a heart attack that just took him. Okay, that does happen. So what happened to Buzzo? When Kate was shown the photograph of Aaron, his glasses were gone, as were the hat he always wore. He was lying flat with one arm raised over his head. Again, could he have collapsed from the heart attack and, just from standing height at the right speed and angle, landed on Buzzo and also made it impossible for him to escape from underneath? Again, seems improbable. Within a few days, Aaron's family was told not to contact the media as it would just make things more complicated. Then, a new rumor. After finding cannabis among Aaron's belongings, authorities, while on a phone call with Aaron's family and based on no factual evidence, casually threw out the idea that, hey, maybe his weed was laced with something that killed him. I you know, because that happens all the time. I read that when Amber first uh -huh. mentioned this case to us, and I couldn't believe that. Yeah. 
And it was very flippant. Like, it wasn't part of a report or anything. It sounded it was just like, like he was just shooting the shit with the family. Yeah. Like, let's come up with some ideas we on found why weed. he could have died. Now he's dead. Drugs, dead. What about was the, the dog, weed? though, too? Like He also had the weed. <laughs> it was then learned that Aaron's heart attack was caused by outside influence. That being the bullet that was found in his chest after he was shot in his side, which then traveled through a lung. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Uh, don't know why they didn't start there, though. His death was now considered a homicide. And then a few weeks later, his brother told me in confidence that it was a, a gunshot. It was the Friday before Labor Day. So it was probably the gunshot that ended up going through his lung and I think ended up staying in his rib cage. Probably caused a heart attack, I guess. Well, that's what we were told sort of initially, but I, I'm not sure what they were. Really a heart offer, attack caused by a bullet? Of. I was also told at the same time that there was one, it was like one bullet and it also went through the dog. I mean, this just didn't make a lot just of sense. Just ridiculous. To me. They were waiting to hear. They were told from the police department not to, not to reach out to the media because that could hinder the investigation. So for the longest time, there was nothing um, really said about it except for in the inner circle of our friends that knew that he had been shot, which. There's only a handful of us. You know, yeah. Um, and then his family, I guess, knew that. And then there was a memorial for him. And, you know, everybody's under the assumption that he had a heart attack. I think it would have changed the vibe of that thing. Yeah. If knew, known. And then so, not too long after that, there was an article that came out that they were interviewing us. To me, it made it much worse. I, well, I guess to everybody, it made it just a lot worse because it just didn't have to happen, obviously. Right. Um, and uh, I just I felt... Uh, extremely upset and the whole time like we keep th we kept thinking like heart attack but what happened to buzz why right why is buzz dead right it didn't make any sense it didn't make yeah. any sense and then ezra told me after i got home from work that they found a bullet in his body and i just i mean i was thank god i was sitting down again right <laughs> it was just like i i just started bawling and I, it's different yeah it's it's worse absolutely worse and it was preventable and wasn't anything to do with his health or anything it was, he, he was shot he was killed i rationalized it in my head like i understand they wanted the memorial because we we planned this memorial for him and they wanted it to be I, we all wanted it to be about him right. not about what happened to him but about him so did the dog have a bullet wound or was it just the oh, one we'll get to that okay I reached out to the coroner that handled Aaron's case, simply asking for a few of the confusing aspects to be clarified. You know, like why was there initially a discussion of a heart attack and that then morphed into a gunshot wound? Here was Warren McLeod's response. I have received a request for a meeting to discuss the Aaron Christensen case. However, per RCW 68.50.105, all post-mortem information is confidential. I have released all that I can legally, which is the cause of death, gunshot wound to the chest, and manner of death is homicide. I cannot discuss any other aspects of this case by law. Thank you for your inquiry and have a great day. Warren. I get the feeling that it wasn't so much confusing to the medical examiner, but the detectives working on the case. I agree, because I don't know that, I don't think there's like a separate autopsy document that says heart attack. No. I think that they maybe realized he had heart something going on while doing the autopsy, and the police then took that. Yep, and ran with uh -huh. it. I think there's a lot of telephone being played here. I would agree. Among other things... By the 23rd, just a few days after Aaron was found, a call had been made and two people were in custody and were being questioned about what might have transpired on the trail. They had those two people the Monday or Tuesday after it happened. They knew that he was shot before they told us that it was a heart attack. That's right. It is known who was responsible for Aaron and Buzz's murders. On October 27th, two months after their deaths, Lewis County Sheriff's Office referred first-degree manslaughter and animal cruelty charges against an unnamed 17-year-old girl from Rochester and her boyfriend, 20-year-old Ethan Michael Asbach from Tenio, both locations about 100 miles to the west of the lake. If you Google Aaron's case, you'll find there are plenty of Reddit threads about his bizarre story. Some of them mention Ethan and claim that it's believed he comes from a well-to-do or well-connected family in the area and that a detective with the case told Aaron's family that Ethan was, quote, a good kid with a good family, hence the lack of investigation or arrest. 
So one of the biggest costs that come with running our show is subscriptions. We subscribe to a lot of newspapers in the area, newspapers.com, ancestry.com, and background services. And those costs are worth the information that we're able to find. Using one such background service, I searched for Ethan. I looked for him under Ethan Arbach, Michael Arbach, Ethan Michael, Michael Ethan, and I cannot find anything about him anywhere. I may have found a Facebook, but there's no real information there. And if he does have a record, as it has been alleged, I cannot find its existence, which seems odd to say the least. Additionally, I reached out to one of the detectives working the case via email. I requested an interview, knowing full well that with this being an active case, that would not happen. And that was the case. So I emailed some of my questions. What was the cause of death for Buzzo the dog? What was Aaron's time of death? Is there a reason rumors are police or community connections? Ethan and the underage partner have not yet been arrested for murder, as it seems somewhat obvious the shooting didn't occur as they stated. I'm still waiting for a response. You'll probably be waiting a while. I think so. <laughs> he, responded, he responded very quickly to my request to talk. It was very, you know, sorry, it's active. We can't speak. And then it was like, oh, well, while I got you, I have these questions. And yeah, suddenly he can't respond. All of this has probably left you as confused as Aaron's friends and family. As for why the charges were only manslaughter and why they weren't pursued, this is Ethan's story. The officer that I spoke with at the scene, he did tell me on the phone that it was the wildest, weirdest case he had ever seen in his life in over 20 years of policing. Going all the way back to the Monday after Aaron was killed, Ethan, or a family member of his, informed the police that he was responsible. That means the sheriffs knew two days after Aaron's death what the cause of death was and who was responsible, yet they continued the narrative, both publicly and to the family, that it was the heart attack, puncture wound, or laced weed. According to Ethan, he and his girlfriend, who, because she is underage, isn't named, but since I reference her a lot, we'll call her Sarah, were hiking the Wallop Trail on the 19th, the same day Aaron left for his outing. Ethan's father was supposedly already out at the Sheep Lake campground on a hunting trip, with Ethan and Sarah expected to join. Ethan claimed he was on the trail in the evening, coming across a strange noise around 9 p.m. This occurred around that three-and-a-half-mile mark where Aaron's body was discovered, so I can only assume that they got a very late start on the trail, which is never a good idea. In the dark, the young couple stopped in their tracks when they heard a growling sound and turned to find menacing eyes glowing back at them. Scared it was a wild animal, Ethan fired a single warning shot, quote, out of fear. Not up in the air, though, right? Uh, no. Approaching the area he fired towards, they discovered the bodies of Aaron and Buzzo. Instead of heading back the three miles to report the incident and to possibly get Aaron help, they claimed to have continued hiking towards the meeting place with his dad, but they took a wrong turn and ended up walking out of the woods on Saturday. So, wait a minute. So they fired a single shot, which mm -hmm. means it would have gone through both dog and Aaron? P supposedly, possibly. So he may have been holding it in, in front of his chest? It's almost like it doesn't make sense. On Sunday, the call was made to the police and Ethan told his story. Now, let's dissect that tale. First of all, no one leaves for a hike at night. Even inexperienced campers would hesitate to start on a trail that late. Being summer, the sun didn't set until around 8.15 p.m., but that doesn't mean it's bright enough to get on the trail. Besides animals, you're unable to see the ground, making for a dangerous situation. On top of that, looking at the map, the Sheep Lake campground is a 17-hour walk at nearly 50 miles. Even if your hike was short, you certainly wouldn't start at night. And if it's a two-day walk of that many miles, you would be far more prepared and you would get an early start. This was not a casual walk. As for the wild animal they saw, there's a lot to unpack there. Buzzo was still a puppy. He was short. Even if he did growl, which I'm not sure if he was a vocal boy, but let's say he was, there is no way you're confusing a puppy's growl for that of a mountain lion or a bear. Mm. Even if it was a jarring noise, looking to see the eyes, you would see how low they were to the ground. So what could they have confused it with? A skunk? Raccoon? And let's talk about the glow. 
Be it Friday or Saturday, Aaron left and was expected back at such times he should have been on the trail between 8.30 and noon. The halfway mark where he was killed should have, no matter which direction he was going, been around 10 a.m. So I ask Ethan, what exactly was causing a glow at that hour? How was it dark enough on an August morning to make the dog's eyes glow? That's fishy. Uh Uh-huh. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Unlike Ethan and Sarah, Aaron knew when to be on the trails. Nighttime was not that time. Okay, so let's ignore all of that logic. Back to Ethan's story. Sure, it's dark, you hear a noise, it freaks you out. You fire a warning shot. If you've never shot a gun, you might not know that hitting your target is actually quite difficult and takes a lot of skill. Even if Ethan was purposely shooting towards Aaron, it would be kind of hard to hit him. Add to it that according to Ethan, it was nighttime and outdoors, and they can't see that a person is standing there, the odds of him striking Aaron in the chest via a haphazard warning shot is about the same as me hitting the Mega Millions. And Buzzo was so small, that shot would have been even more difficult. But that shot was not difficult for Ethan, though. He was able to aim his gun in the dark while terrified and with one pull of the trigger, shoot two targets that were two different sizes with one magic bullet. Again, this is all under the assumption that Buzz was shot. I know I'm not good with math, but this is not adding up. I mean, okay, so in theory, yeah, sure, an accident could happen and it the stars align and you shoot a single bullet through right. two targets. But yeah, uh, the hours are what, what's really throwing me. The time, yeah, what you say you saw, and why did you not just... Three miles is nothing, now, especially do, if you're about to hike 50. Do we know a like accurate time of death of Aaron? No. So perhaps something happened and it was much later, right? Yes, except that was halfway on the trail. So if if Aaron is heading, he leaves the campground. So if it's Friday, leaves at 830, he should have been to his campground like noon. Right. But what if the puppy was hurt or he was hurt? Oh, if like something someone, was forcing he rolled him. his ankle and he oh, was stuck there. Oh, and he was forced to go back to camp. Yep. Or he yeah. was just like stuck there hoping a passerby might help him. Maybe. But I do find it hard to imagine that if it wasn't like a life or death emergency, that he wouldn't just wait till the morning. Also, I would imagine him shouting out like if, right. if these are just two normal people, they're mm-hmm. probably making a lot of noise and Aaron w- would call out exactly. if he needed help. So yeah. there are a lot of hum- things that make you go. Hmm. Mm-hmm. As if all of that is not frustrating enough. That's where things stand as of now. The manslaughter and animal abuse charges were denied by the prosecutor's office pending further investigation, and there's no telling what kind of investigation is actually taking place, if any. Buzzo's body remains in the sheriff's custody. I've not seen any report confirming that he was shot. Ethan and Sarah remain free, having been so heroic to share their story. If the family hadn't pressed for questions and the local paper had not put out a report asking those same questions, it's possible Aaron's actual cause of death would not have been released. Even even if it is an accidental killing, he should be held accountable. Or they should explain it. Because what I think, well, and we can get to that, but I think because it's animal abuse charges, I'm thinking Buzzo was physically attacked. Yeah. I, I mean, there are a lot of scenarios that go not through my accident. head that he was attacked Aaron came in to intervene and was shot for it. It's what yeah. my mind went to. But the, I'm still wondering what the heck was happening. Why was he out that late? Was the dog hurt? Something happened. There was a dispute. I. It's baffling. Yeah. Aaron's loved ones just want answers. They've complied with the police, not putting up billboards, not contacting the media. If Ethan's story made sense and he accidentally shot Aaron, everyone could move on and grieve Aaron as being lost through a terrible accident. But that simply isn't the case. I'm not the first, I'm not going to be the first person to say, fuck the police, or I don't trust them, or any of those things. I'm not that, I'm not that person. Um, But I'm getting there (laughs) with this with this office it's like just if it's an accident it's an accident what the fuck happened 
There are too many questions and too many aspects that simply do not add up. Guessing and alleging, you have to wonder, did Aaron stumble upon Ethan and Sarah doing something that led to them panicking? I'm not really sure what that would be, maybe doing drugs or something and they got scared. It wasn't like Aaron had a lot of valuables on him at the time and it didn't appear he was missing anything. So robbery doesn't really make sense and you wouldn't really go into the woods to go rob someone, you know, who's wearing their nicest jewelry to go camp. Maybe they came across him and they attempted to rob him for whatever he had. And since he didn't have anything, they shot him. Maybe there was only one bullet used on Aaron's side and the animal abuse charges stem from Buzzo being killed from an attack. There's no telling. What if they tried to rob him and Buzzo tried to defend him? They killed the dog. Yeah. Ugh, I, I, I think that could, I think that could be possible. But I'm serious. Even if it was a mistake, he should still be yeah. judged for that. But there's also, it's very difficult to figure a way that it's a mistake. Him, I mean, just by what he's saying, he admitted. No, I know, but it's like, then how's the dog dead? Because right, he didn't yeah. shoot them both. I'm hoping they're, they're actually investigating and they just don't want to talk about it. Hmm. We'll see. Pick yeah. these motherfuckers up. Yeah. Get them off the street. Like, yeah. they did something terrible. Yeah. Whether it was an accident or not, there's still consequences. Right. My personal guess, based solely on information told to me from his friends and what I've read in articles, is that Aaron left for his trip Friday morning. Because the trail was well used, I would find it kind of hard to believe that he laid there for 24 hours not being discovered. So maybe it was on his way back and he came across the pair. Then there was some sort of interaction, be it verbal or physical, and then Ethan shot both Aaron and Buzz or shot Aaron and then beat Buzz. And like you said, if if they did do something to Aaron and then Buzz was being protective... Also, if drugs were involved, any interaction or even Aaron's presence could have scared them, you know, if they were hallucinating, if they were doing really strong drugs, you know, they could have thought they saw a big glowing monster when really it was 10 a.m. and they saw a puppy. Who knows? And now you're all wondering, now what? To support Aaron's family, you can find their GoFundMe by searching for Justice for Aaron Christensen. And Aaron is spelled A-R-O-N and Christensen is C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N. The family has hired a lawyer and the funds will help cover that along with Aaron's funeral costs and everything else that comes with a loss. On January 20th, Ezra and other friends and bandmates of Aaron's performed a fundraising concert at Dante's in Portland to celebrate what would have been Aaron's 50th birthday on the 21st. If you're as curious as I was to learn of the book about Lewis County, you can find Where Murderers Walk Free, Who Will Be the Next Victim, by former detective Jerry C. Barry. That's the title. The title of the book. Oh, Where Murderers Walk Free. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I got something to say and I'm going to say it. Uh Uh-huh. Well, he he was a detective in the area. He's a former detective from Lewis County and he wrote a book about all the murderers that walk free because Lewis County doesn't arrest anybody. You can find that at jerrycberry.com or on ThriftBooks. If you have any information about what might have occurred at the Wallop Trail last August, be it you were at the campground or maybe you've overheard conversations or felt something might be off with someone, please call it in. We have covered so many cases where a simple call of concern ended up breaking the case. One option is to call the sheriff, which feels odd to request after all of this, but their number is 360-748- 9286, or you can contact Lewis County Communications at 360-740-1105. You can also call anonymously to Crime Stoppers of Washington at 1-800-222-8477. I know they aren't technically assigned to the case, but given the circumstances, if you know something and don't feel comfortable reporting it to the Lewis County officers, the FBI Seattle offices can be reached at 206 622 0460. This next call to action was not presented by Kate, Ezra, or Aaron's family, who I have not spoken with. But if you're feeling frustrated by a lack of answers from the police, maybe they would feel inclined to say something if they, I don't know, ended up getting bombarded by a ton of emails expressing that frustration and demanding those answers. I wonder who came up with that. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'll give everyone a moment to grab a piece of paper and pen, not while you're driving. Do, 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 do. 
So if you were to do that, hypothetically, of course, you could send those messages to Jamie McGinty. That's J-A-M-E-Y dot M-C-G-I-N-T-Y at lewiscountywa.gov or Dusty Breen, D-U-S-T-Y dot B-R-E-E-N at lewiscountywa.gov. I'm sure those guys are well aware of Aaron's name, but if it is helpful, the case number is 22C10739. To learn more about Aaron, see his photos, and hear his music, his family has set up AaronLarsChristensen.com. Aaron's friends carry so much weight from his loss. They didn't lose a friend to natural causes, which would be enough to grieve, but because of the circumstances, they carry guilt. What if Kate hadn't asked him to drive up with Ezra? What if their friend, who was toying with the idea of crashing his solo trip, had joined him? Would he still be alive, or would they both be gone? What if the weekend hadn't been planned for the same time of Aaron's nephew's birthday? He could have spent the weekend with his family in Silverton. Because his case remains not only unsolved, but is surrounded by questionable circumstances, to say the least, they don't get to experience grief as a passing wind of longing. Aaron's name brings up his death, the mishandling of the scene, the report of a heart attack, the knowledge that those who have taken responsibility for killing him don't seem to be facing any kind of consequences, and that's why I'm covering this case. Not only did Aaron's friends want his story known to keep his memory alive, but they want answers and, appropriately, the word I've chosen for 2023, justice. That's sad. I was just looking at pictures of him and his pup. Yeah. Very cute puppy. So a lot of questions, a lot of weirdness. Someone that might be related, maybe a father or something that I found owns a company in the area. It's not like it's Microsoft, you know, but maybe that's the problem. I don't know if he's related to an officer. Well, like parents always say, follow the money. Who's investing what? Exactly. And what are they trying to cover? I mean, it's it's in the least confusing and fishy and they need to just say what they're doing. Right. Are you investigating this as something more? Are you not? Have you clo- are you going to close it as an accident? Like what's going to happen? And why was there enough to bring the charges but or or to present the charges but not enough to actually press them? Yeah. What's la- like on what en- you know, did they I keep thinking too if he's not connected, is it just that they botched the scene so bad mm-hmm. that They'd rather have it just all go quiet and not nobody says anything because then they would all be in trouble for turning down the detectives that were offered, uh, well, not processing it as a crime scene. Now it's our job to blow it up. Yeah. So uh, I hope anyone with those same questions uh, does reach out to those officers. I don't know that you'll hear anything back, but the hope would be more so that they recognize that there's pressure on this and that people are paying attention and that people are pissed because it's well the whole thing's bullshit (laughs) so just that pressure and and that and that attention hopefully will either they'll put the investigation into high gear or they'll they'll actually start an investigation i don't know if they're even Mm, doing one the fbi get involved exactly that if it's escalated enough and enough people are pissed about it, yeah. something has to happen. So, you know, I, I asked that of you guys because in the past you guys have been so great about, you know, Richard Gilmore. I, I lost count of how many people shared his photo and shared that flyer. That was amazing. Uh, the calls to the governor. We've had other, you know, calls to action that you guys have really stepped up. So uh, that's another one uh, where it's just if we all work together to say, hey, it's not just the family that's wanting answers it's we're all holding you accountable as citizens that are paying your bills do your job <laughs>